How's everybody doing? Good. Awesome. Okay, show of hands. Who here likes to play with Legos? Awesome. Great. I love the present tense, likes to play with Legos. Uh, Anybody who used to like to play with Legos? Yes? Okay. A little bit more hands. Okay. Um, me, myself, personally, I grew up a Connects guy. Anybody play with Connects? Does anybody know what Connects are? Yes? Anybody? Keep them high, please. All right. Connects are kind of like the hipster building block of our day. I loved Connects. They were my thing, okay? I loved, loved, loved Connects. I never really understood Legos. Until now, because Teddy just loves playing with Legos. His favorite thing right now is to build towers. We build towers together, um, really tall. And uh, one thing that we've been learning is that if you want to build your tower taller, you need to have a wide base, a good foundation, right? Sometimes we're so quick, we want to build it as high as we possibly can. But if we don't have it uh, strengthened and fortified at the base, it just falls over really, really early, right? So that's one thing we're learning. Um, But today, our passage today is about God's ultimate building project. God's ultimate building project. And God is building something. He's building something big, something powerful, something beautiful. Our passage today is Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. And this is, we're continuing through our series. We've called it New Creation People. This series, we're going through the whole book of Ephesians, and we've called it New Creation People because this book more than many other letters, more than pretty much any book, I think, in the Bible, this, this one deals with our identity so directly. And it is so important to understand who we are in Christ if we want to get this thing right, if we want to live this life out well. So new creation people, and we're getting to this passage, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So as we read this, I want to ask you to, to stand in honor of God's word. It's just four verses long. Let's read this together. Starting in verse 19, Paul writes, he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. You can be seated. All right. So before we get into our passage, and we're going we're gonna to really get into it today, I want to draw our attention to where it is in this letter. So we, it's something that I come back to a lot. I try to say this as much as I can just to keep our minds fresh, but we're reading a letter Ephesians is a letter written by a man named Paul, written to a real community that that existed roughly 2,000 years ago. It's a whole letter that was meant to be read all at once and taken all at once. We can be really good about dissecting small passages, which is good. There's a lot there, but we have to remember where it fits. So this this passage doesn't sit in isolation to itself. It, It actually concludes a larger section that we've been working on for the last few weeks. So if you're taking notes, really encourage you to take notes. Um... This passage finishes up this larger section from verses 11 all the way through 22. So if we're going to break this apart, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen or watch the last few weeks because Brian did a great job breaking these passages apart, and they really provide a lot of context for today because today's the conclusion. But if we're going to break it apart, I'll give you a quick summary. Verses 11 through 13, 
Paul, basically, he's asking the Gentile audience, the Gentile readers, to remember their formal, dreadful, and lost condition. He says, hey, remember how things used to be. Remember how bad it was. Remember that you were excluded. Remember that before you were rescued by Christ's death. Then the second section in verse 14 through 18, Paul details how Christ has reconciled these two people groups together, the Jews and the Gentiles. He's brought them together, and the the language that he uses is really fascinating. He says he's brought them together to become a new man, a new human. So it's a new entity, a new race. He's brought them together and reconciled them together wholly, joining them together into the church. And then today, as we'll see, we'll get into it, Paul gives us the tangible result. What, What happens based on Christ's work on the cross, the tangible result is that God is building something and the Gentiles are fully included. Not just like secondhand status or, um, as a, an afterthought or anything like that, but the Gentiles are fully and wholly included in this work. So again, encourage you to go back and listen to the last two weeks because it really provides a lot of context. You'll still get plenty out of today, but um, it's really fascinating what, what Paul is really saying with this whole entire section. So let's, let's jump in. First, in verse 19, Paul writes this. He says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. There is a lot here. And this may be the most amazing statement we hear this morning. That you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are citizens and you are members of God's household. So first and foremost, we start with this word, consequently. Um, this is a therefore statement. So if you, it's just a good, good note. If you, know, if you want to learn how to read your Bible better, if you ever see the word therefore or so then or consequently, it's a therefore statement. It's always good to ask yourself, what is the therefore therefore? Why is it there? What's the therefore therefore? Because it's there for a reason, right? So again, we're getting to this conclusion statement. So what he's about to say is dependent on what he has just said. So he says, consequently, because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of how he has reconciled Jews and Gentiles into one new entity, he says, you are no longer foreigners. You are no longer strangers. And he's talking specifically to the Gentiles here. You, Gentiles, are included. You are citizens. You are members of God's household. In other words, he's just saying, you belong. This is what he's saying to the Gentiles. You belong. And newsflash for us in this room, we're Gentiles. Most likely, right? If you are not of Jewish descent, you're a Gentile. It's really easy. That's how the Jews thought of it too. If you weren't born as God's chosen people, if you weren't born into that family, then you were outside. You were excluded. But now, Jesus based on his work and based on what Paul is teaching here, he says, this is open for everybody. Gentiles are fully and wholly included. At one point, you were excluded. Now you don't. Something has shifted. And the fascinating thing is he uses political terms here. He says, when you are no longer foreigners and strangers, some translations will say aliens, that's what you were. You were a foreigner. You had no rights. You didn't belong. Only citizens had the full protections of the law. Only citizens had full rights 
in that society, right? We deal with this today. If you're a citizen, you enjoy certain rights that the rest of the population doesn't. So he's saying you, Gentiles, are citizens. He's using a political term here. And so that begs, us the, begs the question, right? What are, what are they citizens of? They're citizens, not of Rome, not of the Jewish nation. They are citizens of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that Jesus came to proclaim. That's what they're citizens of. And he says, with all God's people, with all God's people. So remember, in the Old Testament, the Jews were the ones that were considered to be God's people. That was, that was a title that was reserved for Jewish people. You were either in or you weren't, and it was all based on how you were born. But now he's saying, you are citizens with all of God's people. And the word he's actually using here is hagias. Everybody say hagias. Hagias, all right. Learning some Greek. This is Greek for saint. This is the word he uses. You are citizens with all of the saints. This is a word that, I don't know about you, but I don't think about very often day to day. I don't use it in my daily vernacular very much. But this is what Paul is saying. You are citizens with the saints. You are a saint. He's saying to these Gentiles, you belong. You have rights in the kingdom. You have a position of belonging. And then, I love this because Paul doesn't stop there. He starts with this political analogy, but he doesn't stop and he goes and says, you are also members of God's household. And the word here for household is household, essentially. Like an ordinary human household. That's the word that Paul chooses. You are part of God's household. So again, if we push, Paul loves analogies. I love this. If you ever, if you ever want to just write down a list, a running list of Paul's analogies, he has some really good ones, and he uses them a lot. Helps us to understand things. But household, he's talking about immediate family members. He's not talking about distant relatives. You are members of God's actual household. You're part of God's immediate family. And so think about it this way. Um, I got two boys, Teddy and Henry. Teddy is almost four. Henry is eight months old. Uh, I love them to death. They are a part of my household. They're my boys. But I really don't like toddlers that much. Full cards on the table. I don't like toddlers that much. I don't like babies that much. They're cute. And I, you know, I like them a little bit. But they're not my first choice of people to hang out with. <laughs> they're not. You know, for some of you, you love toddlers. You love babies. I'm, I don't know if they're here this morning. But I'm super thankful for Josh Valdez and Lori Russo. People of that nature that just, that they love hanging around people like that. I'm not, if you're a toddler in the room... I love you. Please hear that. I just struggle. I don't, yeah. So anyway, but Teddy and Henry are different. They're my boys, right? I think the world of them. This is how God sees you. You're his child. You're a part of his household. You're a part of his immediate family. Hebrews 2.11, the, the author of Hebrews says this. He says, both one or both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. I don't, know, I don't know if we think about this enough. We are literally, if you are in Christ, you are literally a brother or sister to Jesus Christ himself. You're in the immediate family. You're not a distant relative. You're not a cousin 
uh, third cousin twice removed. I don't even know how the removed language works. I don't understand that. But you are a part of the immediate family. So I want to say to you this morning, you belong. This is true for you and me too. You belong. And if you don't hear that clearly enough, I'm talking to you. Not collect, like, sometimes we are so quick to deflect things. We're like, oh, you know, yeah, that might be true of these people over here, but not me. Not me. I don't belong. No, I'm saying to you, you belong. This is all true of you. So I wonder, and I want to ask this, I wonder how many of you have ever thought to yourself, I don't belong. I don't belong here in church. I don't belong here with this Christian community. I'm an imposter. You know, if people only knew what I think about or what I've dealt with or what I've struggled with, I wouldn't be welcome anymore. If you thought that, you're not alone. Hear that? I've, I've struggled with that too. It's easy to feel like an imposter, right? But this is why this message is so important to you, right? I said this earlier. This is the word of the Lord for us today. I firmly believe this is how God speaks to us. God speaks to us through his word. So we're reading this passage today. This is God's word for you this morning. You belong. You have a rightful position as a citizen of the kingdom. It's not because you earned it, and that's because you deserve it. It's because Jesus made that true of you. He gets to decide. And you belong in God's household. You're an immediate family member. You're a brother or sister to Christ himself. This is true. And in, in Romans 8, 38 through 39, I don't have this on the screen, but if you're writing notes, Romans 8, 38 through 39, Paul basically tells us that literally nothing can prevent God from loving us. Nothing can separate us from, from the love of God. Nothing. Not even you. You can't separate yourself from God's love. I mean, you can reject him, but God will never stop loving you. It's true of you. And I really want to hit on this. This is just one verse, but I really want to hit on this this morning because I think that this is something, this is a message that Christians need to hear everywhere. We have to be thoroughly convinced of who we are as saints and members of God's household if we're going to live accordingly. Do you understand that? So much of our mindset drives our actions that if we don't see ourselves as a saint, we're not going to live like a saint. If we don't see ourselves as a child of God, we're not going to act like a child of God. We've got to get this through our minds. We've got to stop, stop with the excuses, stop pushing it off, stop making um, self-deprecating statements or thoughts as if you don't deserve this because, one, we all don't, but Jesus has said this is true of you. This is who you are. And this is why we're going through and hitting this book so hard that you are a new creation in Christ. You are a new creation. And surely we don't live like it all the time, right? I don't live like it all the time. But it's true. And we have to get this through our minds because if we don't, we're just going to go on living like the rest of the, rest of the world. We're just going to go along with what everybody else is doing. But we're called to something greater. We're called to something higher. So this brings me to my second point. You belong, so act like it. You belong, 
Now you need to act like it. And for some of us, we really need to sit on that first point much longer. So I would encourage you, if that's you, go home today, this week, and just focus on that first point, that you belong. And work to truly believe that and ingrain that into your self-identity, because that is so important. But we don't stop there. We then go on to, okay, if this is true of me, i got to behave like it. i got to act like it's true. Which brings me to say this. If you've been adopted into God's family, if you've put your, your faith in, G, in, in Jesus Christ, this is true of you. If you've been adopted into God's family, you don't have the right to continue living as spiritual orphans anymore. You hear that? You don't have the right. Too often, we, we live in America. Uh, independence and autonomy is a huge value of ours in this society. But it's not really afforded to us as Christians. You can't just accept Christ and then go back and live life however you want. You don't have that right. You don't get to live as if you're not a part of God's family anymore. You don't have that right. I mean, you can. It's just not a good decision. You don't have the right. God lets you do it anyway, but you don't have the right. And you're contradicting what Jesus has said is true about you. So I want to point this out. We see this in full, in full effect in America right now. Um, yeah, I'm not typically one to bring up politics, hardly ever, but we live in a really volatile state in America right now. America's divided. You know, I don't know if it's ever been this divided before. It certainly hasn't been in my lifetime. Uh, but it's hard to watch. And I think the hardest thing for me to stomach is I see Christians just behaving like everybody else. That's the hardest thing for me to get my mind around and stomach is that, you know, the amount of demonization, violation of the image of God and other people, the mockery, the spewing of hate, it just, it's all over the place. I see it primarily on social media, right? Because we got confidence sitting behind a, a computer with a keyboard, right? We feel like we're invincible there, right? But, but people, the human race is just constantly spewing hatred, anger, mockery. We are literally, that's literally what we're doing. We're violating the image of God and other human people, human beings. That is not okay. It's not okay for Christians to follow suit. And I would propose that the biggest reason for that is that those Christians, and it could be some of you in this room, I don't know, um, it's because we don't know who we really are. We don't really know who we are because if we knew who we were, we understood our identity, we would understand that children of God don't act like that. Children of God treat every single human being with inherent dignity and worth as people who have been made in his image and have been created by God. That's what we do. We're commanded to love God and to love people. Those are our chief prerogatives. We're commanded to live peaceably with everyone as much as possible. We're the ones who are supposed to initiate that. We're called to a higher standard of living. That's how a child of God lives. And I'll say this too, especially if we know our mission as children of God, our mission is to help expand God's family, bring people to Christ. Well, we can't win the world if we act like the world. We just can't, right? If you look like everybody else that you come in contact with every day, like, there's nothing winsome about you. You're not sharing Jesus. If Jesus is no different than the world, then why would they want Jesus? Jesus. 
We're called to live differently. We're called to live to a higher standard. So I want to invite you to think personally for a second. Think about your last month. Imagine if your entire life was written down, recorded, and just released in in the top headlines for the news, all the major news networks over the next week. Just imagine that. That would be really vulnerable, obviously. But if you can imagine, what would that say about Christians? What would that say about us as Rock Creek Church? And what would that say about Jesus? Because, and I say that not to to make you feel guilty, right? The, the, The whole point here is to help us to realize that we're called to a greater standard of living. We need to get that through our minds. And sometimes we make excuses. We look at other people like, oh, well, they they did that, so I'm fully justified in doing this. That's not how it works. But if you really take inventory of your life and see how have I been living as a child of God or how have I been living like a foreigner, someone who's alienated from the family of God, it's revealing because I I can guarantee you, if you look at your behavior as a foreigner, as a spiritual orphan, if you will, those moments, you're not thinking of yourself as a child of God. You're thinking of yourself in other terms. Maybe how the world defines you. Maybe you're thinking of the messages that you've been told growing up as a kid. Maybe you're thinking about, I don't know, the sins of other people. Like, well, they're so bad, so I, I am justified in, in doing my thing. It's just, it's not true. So I want to invite you to think about that. And then realize that you're a saint. Again, so think about it this way, right? You are a saint. Sometimes we think about saints in terms of like, I don't know, I think about Catholic churches or Eastern Orthodox churches. You drive by and say, okay, um, like there's a giant church called St. Peter's Basilica. We're like, oh, St. Peter, you know, he's a saint. He's one of the apostles. We've sainted him, whatever that means. <laughs> or there's like a, there's tons of St. John's. That's a really popular one. There's, I don't know, what other, St. Thomas Aquinas that we've, People throughout history, we have elevated to this sainthood status, right? I think it'd be kind of weird to see, like, I don't know, St. Alan's Church. I could see that. I don't know. I don't know if you could. St. Mark. St. Dan. Like, could you see a church being named after you? It'd be a small church. Okay, there you go. <laughs> it seems kind of silly, but again, we've had this tendency as Christians to elevate certain people and like, oh yeah, that's a saint or that's someone who is really close with God. That's someone who's really got it figured out. And we push ourselves down. Like, I'm, I'm, I would never amount to that. But the realization, or we have to come to this realization that our identity is the same as theirs. It's true. I'm a saint. And it's weird to say, but me, Alex Rowan, I am a saint. I've, I've got to understand that greater. Because if I understand that, then I can call out the behavior that doesn't belong. See, that's, what, that's a huge part of sanctification. That's a big word. Sanctification, becoming more holy, becoming more like Jesus. A huge part of that is just understanding what doesn't belong in my life. It's not that it's wrong and that you should feel terrible about yourself and beat yourself up for the rest of your life. It's No, this literally does not belong in my life. This is not part of who I am as a person anymore. How many of you ever used this, the, the saying, not under my roof? You ever used that? Parents, grandparents, not under my roof. No, you don't. How many of you have heard that? 
Okay, everybody should have heard that, right? So I, I, as I was preparing for this, I was reminded, you know, there was a point where this really caught me off guard when I was like 11 or 12, I think. I was over at my best friend's house, and we're just talking and hanging out, eating Taco Bell. I love Taco Bell. Um, and I don't know, I f- totally forgot what we were talking about, but I happened to come out and say, oh, that sucks. <laughs> it's like all of a sudden, like the whole atmosphere of the room just changed. I knew that I said something I wasn't supposed to. So my best friend's mom was right there. He was right there. He's like, you can't say that. And she's like, no, we don't say that in this house. Like, I don't know. I, it caught me off guard. I'm like, what, what did I say? What did I do? They were huge on suck was not an okay word in their house. Not in that household. So I had to say stinks. I don't, I don't even understand why, what the point of that was. But I learned <laughs> that if you're in someone else's household, they get to make the rules. They do. And if we are members of God's household... We submit to his rules. We're accountable to his rules. So I honestly think that more often we need Christians, we need people to have meaningful conversations with each other. We as Christians need to have meaningful conversations with each other, and when necessary, we need to look at people with complete and total love and affection and say, that, that does not belong. We don't do that in this household. We don't do that in the kingdom of God. That's not, it does not belong in your life and it does not belong in the church. There comes a point where we have to have those conversations. Not under my roof. And the difficult thing is, is when we live as children of God, quite honestly, it would be easier to live as a foreigner. It's just true. It would be easier to live as a spiritual orphan because then we get to control our lives. We get to be the ultimate Lord of our lives. But as a child of God, Christ is our Lord. He makes the rules in his household. So that's a lot on verse 1, or on, the, on our first verse. <laughs> but I really, like, this is, this is one of the most important things that I can think of for Christians to understand, is who we are and what we're called, how we're called to live. But speaking of, of this household, right, let's continue on. Paul is talking about God's household. His household is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. So what's Paul saying here? Um, he's continuing this, this metaphor of a household. It's a building. It's being built. Um, it's built on a foundation, right? It's pretty, pretty common. You have to have a foundation on your building, otherwise it's not going to stand. So it's built on a foundation. What is the foundation? He's saying it's the apostles and the prophets. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always kind of assumed that this is the Old Testament prophets. But notice the order. It says apostles first and prophets. And there's a few other reasons to, to expect this, but this is one key reason why a lot of commentators will think that, and they conclude that we're talking about New Testament prophets here. How many of you know that there were prophets in the New Testament too? We don't think about it very much. It's another topic for another day. But talking about the apostles, the original 12, and Paul who were originally sent by Jesus and the prophets in the New Testament that helped set the foundational teaching for the church. That's the foundation in Paul's eyes. And Christ is the cornerstone. And if you don't know what a cornerstone is, um, cornerstone in ancient terminology, is the very first stone that you would lay when you're building a building. Because manufacturing didn't really exist back then, to, at least to our quality, right? So if you're building a house out of stones, you're going to have a bunch of imperfect, they're going to be different 
stones and building blocks, right? So the first one that you laid was supposed to be as perfect as you could find because you lay a perfect stone, then everything you build from that stone is built in relation to that one. So if you got a, a really funky and wonky cornerstone, the rest of your building is going to be pretty bad. It's going to suck, <laughs> right? <laughs> Sorry. Um, but it's true, right? So it's got to be perfect. So he's saying Christ is the cornerstone. And some people would say the cornerstone might be even more important than the foundation. Everything is focused on Christ. Everything is built off of relation, in relationship to Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm going to breeze through this. So he's continuing with this metaphor of a building. But now he changes it a little bit. He shifts this analogy. And in verse 21, Paul continues. He says, In him, in Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So he changes this analogy a little bit. It's going from household to a general building, and now it's a temple. In Christ, we're being formed and built into a holy temple for God to dwell in. And if you don't know a whole lot about Jewish history, the temple is where God used to dwell for the Jewish people, right? God lived in the temple. You would have to go to the temple to worship him. You'd have to go to the temple to offer sacrifices. That's where the priests would do their ministering. It's the temple. So God, and it was, it was amazing because God dwelt with his people. He was in the midst of his people, but he was still kind of removed. And this is how radical this is. Is Now, Paul is saying, people are now God's temple. His church, in the universal sense, right? Um, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but we make a distinction between the big C church and the little C church. The big C church is the universal church. The universal church is comprised of every single person who has ever put their faith in Christ, past, present, future, across the globe. That's the universal church. So that's us, that's people down the street, that's other churches in the area, that's people in China, that's people in a bunch of countries around the world. It's people that lived 2,000 years ago, it's people that haven't lived yet. It's the universal church. Little C Church is the local expression of that. So Rock Creek Church, we are a local expression of that. But Paul is saying the church, the universal church, is now the temple of God. He dwells in us. Which raises a really important point, because I think sometimes we're so used to, there's other, Paul reuses analogies, I'll tell you this. Like, this whole temple of God analogy for who we are, he also uses it for us as individuals in 1 Corinthians. So he will say, you as an individual, you, Josie Arnett, you are a temple of the living God. So honor God with your bodies. He'll use that. But in this passage, he's talking about it collectively. He's saying you, the church, are a singular dwelling place for the Lord. So if we take that and, and abstract up and, and come out with a, a conclusion statement is that God dwells in his church in a unique way that you cannot experience on your own. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. When we gather as a church, something spiritual happens in this room. It's not because of the building we're in. It's because we are coming together to worship him together. The presence of God is experienced here differently than, it, than you would experience him in your own personal quiet time at home or your own personal study. 
It's just true. God cares about his community, his people. So your faith is bigger than just you. That's the third point I want to pull out of this. You belong, so act like it, and it's bigger than just you. You are an important part of it, but it's bigger than just you. So I'll give you an implication of this. Church membership is not optional. Just going to let that sit for a little bit. Get out of your mind the, the mindset of the church is a building, the church is an organization. Like I mean, I'm sure some of you in this room, plenty of you in this room have probably gone through a church membership process. That's not what I'm talking about. Church membership is not optional because you're already a member of God's household. You're already a member. It's not optional. So you got to live like it. you got to behave like it. You see that? If you are a member of God's family, you got to participate. People in big families know this well. Big families, right? If you've got a lot of kids, everybody has to contribute. Everybody has to do their job in order for the household to even function, right? I mean, even small families get it. But bigger families, I see it more. I see it more with, with my wife's family. Um, she's the oldest of five. I don't know how you guys did it. My in-laws, my in-laws are saints. They're, you're all saints, but they're extra saints. I don't know. <laughs> but we all have to do our job. As a family member, you don't have the right just to, say, just to check out and say, nah, I don't feel like being a part of the family today. I'm out. You don't have that right. It's an extremely important part of the Christian life to live in community. You cannot live the Christian life in isolation. It is not possible. Church membership is mandatory. In Hebrews, I'll go back to Hebrews again. The author of Hebrews in, in chapter 10, verse 20, 24 through 25, he says this. And he says, let us not consider how we may, or let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So what he's pointing out, the community he's writing to, He's saying, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. People are in the habit of moving away from each other. We are in the habit of not meeting together. And some of you may be thinking, well, I'm a true extrovert. I love being around people. Consider this. How often do we as Christians, or I'll just say we as people, but also we as Christians, we carefully craft our social circles based on who looks like us, who talks like us, who thinks like us, who we get along with. I would argue that that is a form of not meeting together. We seclude ourselves from other parts of the body that we desperately need. We need that. We need to be around people who are different than us. We need that. It is so unbelievably important to bind our lives together. I'm also not talking about simple church attendance here, right? And I don't think the author of Hebrews was saying this either. I don't think he's saying, okay, well, if we can get everybody in a room, then things will be okay. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that we have to enmesh our lives together. We have to be a part of each other's lives. We have to actually look and live and function as the body of Christ, and we don't do that in pockets and isolation here and there. We don't do that by surrounding ourselves with people that look and think 
and talk like us. So I want to say this. If, you, if you've gotten in the habit of just attending church and just showing up, you're missing the point. And I say that in love because there's so much more for you. And there's so much more for the church if you are a part of it. If you're not serving and giving the gifts that God has given you, if you're not serving the body, you're missing the point. If you're not using all of your resources, time, energy, money, everything, if you're not using your resources to bless the church and to be a part of this body, you're missing the point. And it doesn't have to be Rock Creek Church, right? Rock Creek Church is a local expression of this truth. It could, I mean, every other church is, is a real expression of the universal church. But wherever you are, bind yourselves with the body. Bind yourselves with the, the bride of Christ. We're a part of a big family. We all need to pull our weight. We all need to be a part of it. And I want to point out this in this last verse again. In verse 22, Paul says, In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You too. In this passage, he's already been saying you. He's already been saying you have been reconciled. You are citizens. You are members of God's household. You are being built up. But here he says, and you too. What he's doing is he's emphasizing to the Ephesians, this applies to you. It's kind of like, I think about it with Teddy. Sometimes he, he's all over the place. and I'm trying to teach him something. He's just looking around, just like looking around, turning around. He can't focus on me very well sometimes. And it's like me grabbing him by the face, which I do often, and make him look at me. Say, look, I'm trying to talk to you. That's what Paul is doing here. You too, to the Ephesians, you too. This is true of you. And I will say to you this morning, this is true of you, Rock Creek Church. And not the building. I'm not talking to the building right now. I'm talking to you. If you're joining us online, I'm talking to you. You two are being built up together into one holy dwelling for the Lord, his church. So I'll say this. You are like this Lego. This is a hand-me-down Lego. It's kind of been chewed up a little bit. It doesn't look very good. <laughs> Just true of us too, right? It's been chewed up a little bit. You're like this Lego. God is using you and building you up together. <clears throat> Prepped this last night with Teddy. I told you he likes building towers. <laughs> this is the only way I could let him borrow some of his Legos, or that he would let me borrow some of his Legos, is that if I, helped, uh, if I had him help me build this. But you're like this Lego. You're being built together with Christians all over the place, especially in this community, to become a holy dwelling place for the Lord. And notice something, I want to point this out. One Lego in this tower doesn't look like very much, right? This, this tower is made of 100 Legos. I counted. I'm a little bit type A like that. 100 Legos, this is one. You take a church our size, this Rock Creek Church, we're not that big of a church. But we, there's a lot more people in this church that are in this tower, than are represented in this tower, I'll say that. So one Lego, you look at this one Lego... This, is, this Lego is a part of something much bigger than itself. You're a part of something much bigger than yourself. And this is one small building. Rock Creek Church is one local expression of the church, but you are part of something so much bigger than you can possibly imagine. 
You are important. You're a part of it. And if half of us looked at this building and said, ah, I'm not that important, I'm out. Can you imagine? This, this probably isn't very strong as it is, but if we're missing like 50 Legos and random spots all over the place, this would not be a very good tower. You're important. You're needed. You're valued. The church needs you. And you need the church. And together, God dwells in us in a way that is special, that we really don't fully understand here and now. But it is. So I want to end by just saying a couple words. Uh, I think you should get over yourself. It sounds a little harsh. I need to hear this too, by the way. We need to get over ourselves. Because again, we, sometimes we think so individualistically. And often it's really bad, right? Sometimes we, 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 self-deprecation is really common, right? We deprecate ourselves. We push ourselves down. We convince ourselves that we're not worthy, that we're not holy, that we don't belong, that we're imposters. Whatever it is, we convince ourselves of those things. We're still focusing on ourselves. We've got to get over ourselves. We've got to understand who we really are and what we belong to. It's bigger than us. You are called to live as a child of God. You're called to be a part of a new family. You're called to be a part of a new mission, of a new way of living. You're called to belong and contribute. And it's fitting that we're ending this morning with communion because Christ died for his church. Yes, he died for you and for me, but he died for his church. I want to point something out. We don't typically read this passage in this context, but um, in Ephesians chapter 5, we'll get to this passage later in this series. In Ephesians 5, Paul's talking to husbands and wives in a marital context, but he uses an analogy. The analogy is what I want to focus on. He says in verse 25, husbands, love your wives. This is what I want to focus on now. He says, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's what Jesus already did. It's done. I mean, he's doing it tangibly around us, and one day we will be presented back to Christ, but when he died on the cross, he washed us clean. He washed his church clean. He died for us collectively. He died for, for the whole building. So as we enter into communion this morning, I want to ask you to reflect on that. Reflect on, I don't know, a number of different things. Whatever you feel like God is tugging on your heart, whatever you think he's prompting you to think and to do, I don't know, spend some time thinking about your own personal identity. Spend some time on your behavior and take a take a hard look at where you've been living like a child of God versus where you've been living as a foreigner. Spend some time reflecting on how you are a part of something so much bigger than yourself. But I want to encourage you to spend some time in reflection know that Jesus died for you. He died for his church. And this is all about him. It's not about us. We've got to get over ourselves and know this is all about Jesus. So when you are ready... Um, please feel free to come up. We've got communion up here. There's, there's a table all the way in the back for those of you who are out in the overflow. Um, but I would encourage you to, I mean, make sure you're wearing your mask. Come up uh, one group at a time. Don't, we don't still want to maintain social distancing rules, but, um, but spend some time in reflection. Spend some time 
figuring out what God is calling you to do next. Because, again, if we, if we hear something and we don't put it into action, we haven't really heard it. So I want to encourage you that. Uh, but let me pray for us, and uh, we'll enter into this time of communion and worship. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for who you are. And thank you for the way that you move, the way you work, the way that you've loved us. Father, I pray that you would help us to cement our identities in you more and more. That we would wake up every single day knowing who we are in you, that we are your child. Jesus, that we are your brother or sister. That we are a part of your household and that we're called to something greater, something amazing, something beautiful. And Father, I pray that you would help us as a church community, as a, as a group of believers to, to get over ourselves and to really work to, to be a part of your building. Help us to lay down our pride, our independence, our, our autonomy, whatever we need to lay down that's preventing us from truly engaging your family. Help us to lay that down. And Father, I pray that as we take communion, as we take the elements of the bread and the the juice, the wine, <laughs> that you would help us to know and remember your sacrifice, that your body was broken for us on the cross, that your, your blood was poured out for us so that you could establish this new covenant with us, that even us as Gentiles get to be holy and completely a part of your family. So we thank you, Jesus. We give you this day. And we simply thank you and give you our gratitude. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.